0: Hello everybody, this is Derek Duncan, and this is the Feed the Ball podcast, and today I'm speaking with architect Robert Trent Jones Jr. Robert Trent Jones was the dominant force in golf course architecture throughout the middle of the 20th century. Beginning in the 1930s, he built or renovated some 400 courses internationally and introduced a style of design meant to match the world's booming interest in golf, as well as the sweeping changes being made in equipment and the distances players were hitting the ball. He built and prepared courses for major tournaments using hazards and tactics that often frustrated or maddened tour pros and also invented new methods to manufacture courses using modern technology and other innovations. His two sons, Reese Jones and Robert Trent Jones Jr., a.k.a. Robert Trent Jones II, or Bobby, or Bob, have carried his legacy into the second decade of the 21st century while also forging strong and independent reputations of their own. Since opening his own office in the 1960s, Bob Jones Jr. in particular has continually explored ways to present golf holes with artistry, diversity, and passion that also meld with the appealing aesthetics of their natural environments. Though he's built highly acclaimed courses around the globe for decades and mentored prominent contemporary architects like Kyle Phillips and Jay Blasey, many would agree that his crowning achievement was Chambers Bay in Washington State, host to the 2015 U.S. Open, and a course that seems destined to be an indefinite fixture on top 100 lists. It'll be interesting to see how his new course, Hogshead near Waterville on the west coast of Ireland that opens in full later in 2018 stacks up against the rest of his portfolio. I bring up some of this backstory for context because during the course of a very entertaining and lively discussion, I asked him a couple of questions about Chambers Bay and about the legacy of his father that didn't appear to sit too well with him. It seemed to me on a few occasions he kind of took umbrage with, I guess, if if not the actual question itself, then at least the premise of the question. If there's anything close to a royal family in golf design, it's the Joneses. Like with all royal families, they have a keen understanding of their legacy and share a deep and deserved pride in their name and their place in the game. And I don't think Bob was in a particular mood to indulge in any kind of critical analysis of all that. Fair enough. Bob Jones is a doyen in the field of design, as well as a thinker of big and wide-ranging ideas. He's creative, passionate, and empathetic, as you'll hear. And by the end of it, I think we came out in a pretty good place. We certainly covered a lot of interesting ground. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Robert Trent Jones Jr. It's interesting. I, like you just mentioned, you're in Hawaii. Uh, I'm sure it's a wonderful afternoon there. And I'm in Atlanta, and temperatures like zero degrees, wind chill. Uh, the roads are iced. The city's basically shut down. Uh, one of us is doing something right. It's not me.
1: Well, the, yeah, I'm not sure, but uh, there's no global warming. There's no global colding. I don't know what it is. It's just wild weather. <laughs> I think um, I think it was Samuel Clemens who said. Mark Twain said. Everybody talks about the weather, but nobody can do anything about it.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're just waiting for uh, somebody to come in and solve these weather problems that we're having. Uh, but you're right. <laughs> you're right. There's nothing wrong.
1: Yeah. Anyway, my my wife's from Atlanta. Oh, is she? So she grew up there, and I know it well. It's a very lovely city when it's not cold.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 it can be. Um, so you're in Hawaii. What, where were you and what were you doing over this weekend when the... Yeah, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Alert sounded.
1: Um, well, I've actually written a poem about it.
0: <laughs> but, Do you um, want to read the poem?
1: <laughs> well, I can read It's kind of a riff with a poem on... Um, here, quickly, but so I don't see it. I don't
0: this would be um, my first poem on the podcast.
1: <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, so, what, whatever I was, was, I was in a Kiwanis uh, shotgun start, at the Princeville course, McKay course, where, which I designed, so they were very happy. I played because you know, helped raise some money. At about eight ten, we were all in the carts, getting ready to tee off at eight thirty. Go out to the tees, a shotgun, and all of a sudden, the news came over everybody's phones and so on. So nobody had any safe place to go. There's no clubhouse, so we all went to the cart shed, which was open entrance. And it, so I said, this is silly. I mean, you know, we've we just got to be sort of fatalistic about all this and, and waited. But um, messages indirectly through my son who checked with somebody in, in the military, and it seemed like it was something wrong. So we waited 38 minutes, which is way too long. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read this to you if you want. This is my feeling about the guy, the the unknown person who may have made this mistake or not. We're not really sure what happened the government's not telling us, called the Wake Up Cafe. I'm just a civil servant with no name. That's why the governor won't let me explain. Truth is all, I wanted to wake wake you up nice, so I pushed the ballistic button twice. If you were terrified, why? It took 38 minutes to fix the lie. If you felt the nuclear pain, I'm not the only one to blame. The bosses have nothing to gain if it turns out I'm insane. But I'm not the only one. The Donald has a bigger gun. And he know not like Hawaii, and it's okay to bomb you, because it's the home of Obama. When told about the scare, Trump replied, not now. I've got a putt to make. I'll get, it'll give him time to debate. So smoke some Maui Waui and drink some Kona coffee here at the Wake Up Cafe. Aloha, and have a nice day. Good morning, America. This is not a dream, so wake up and scream. <laughs>
0: Well, that's about the best spin you can you can put. I, I mean, it, it's a good perspective to have. Um, I'm, I don't think everybody else probably was uh, in a poetry mood. Uh, no, morning.
1: they weren't, and it wasn't then. I wrote it; just wrote it, kind of last place. Like,
0: yeah. So, what was the what was the atmosphere like uh, amongst the people around you? Was there a true no, level no, of dread? No, there was not. No, was a, co- no,
1: there was not a true level of dread. It was fatalistic. Golfers, by definition, at least mm-hmm. I'm one of them. We've been through a lot in our lives, and we've seen life and death, and um, many times. And you just, you know, you're, you, this is something way outside your control. I mean, it could be a mudslide in Montecito, or it could be a hurricane in Puerto Rico, or it could be this. So you just have to be fatalistic and accept your fate.
0: Well, that's true. But I, I'm i old enough to remember the drills in school where we'd have to, you know, the bomb drills and we'd get under our desks. And, you know, this was during the Cold War. But it just seems like over the last 20 years or more, we've that's not how we figure we're going to go anymore. We've kind of moved uh, psychologically past Worrying about uh, well, in that case, you're bomb. right, and I
1: remember those days too, uh, in the '50s. And I concur with you. This was, and that's why I call it the wake-up cafe. This was a true um, wake-up call to the reality. Not because people took it seriously, and rightly so. And now they know that this is not some rhetoric that that they can ignore. And uh, I think, in that sense, it was a it was a you know a, a tragically stupid thing that happened. But on the other hand, it Woke people up.
0: As your poem references, I'm not sure it woke up the right people or the, all the people that matter. It's one thing for the, the victims to be woke, but uh, the people that can stop it, they maybe need to uh, hear your poem or pay <laughs> well, I have a good closer attention named Jimmy to what's Seattle, happening.
1: And he, there's, an old, there's an old song by uh, Randy Newman No one likes me, I don't know why. Uh, I may be, not be perfect, but heaven knows I try. But all around me, even my friends put me down. I'll drop the big one, see what happens. Uh, So they don't respect me, so I'll surprise them and drop the big one and polarize them. Asia's too crowded, Europe's too old, Africa's too hot, and Canada's too cold. And the Donald done stole our game. I'll drop the big one and let North Korea take the blame. Boom goes Maui, boom goes Kauai, so long Honolulu. We all could die. Just press the wrong button and we're on the brink. This message is so serious it makes you think. Oh, how peaceful it will be in an air raid shelter with you and me. I got the Lays, you bring the ukulele before North Korea has a cow, to drop the big one now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a riff by another friend of mine. So we're, we're sending each other poems.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a good way to um, so, uh, yeah. medicate, I suppose. Um, may, I take it back what I <clears throat> what I said before. Maybe maybe I do like being here in Atlanta. We're a little bit out of range, <laughs> at least for the well, moment. Well,
1: you know, I, I mean really, I don't think that's, uh, I mean, yes, it's serious, but um, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. Uh, and what happened. I'm more worried about T.S. Eliot. The world ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. I mean, I think there's been a number of, of mistakes made over this whole nuclear age period, including the Korean airline mistake in Russia and Soviet space in 1983. Uh, Perry, when he was Secretary of Defense, got a false community. I mean, this can happen by mistake, not necessarily by intention. So I think it's uh, it's troubling.
0: Yeah, I mean that's always been a danger, and you just assume that there are adults in charge who can hopefully cut through the the cloud of fog of war and and figure out what's happening. They've sure only got
1: what's fifteen minutes. Happening at the that's moment, not a lot of time. So, but anyway, be that as it, happier well, before,
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to say before we uh, get too far along this path, let's not bury the lead too much. You, You and your architecture firm are, by all accounts, quite busy these days, which is great. And some of the projects you've got in the works are exciting, and people are especially excited about your project in Western Ireland, Hogshead, near Waterville. Um, That that must be a—that's kind of a rare opportunity. You don't get to build on the coast of the U.K. that often. Um, Your father got to do it at Ballybunion. Uh, now you're doing it at Waterville. So can you tell me about that project? I've read a lot about it. Sure. But well, like... first
1: of all, just my minor correction, Ireland is not the UK except Northern Ireland the six counties.
0: You're correct. But, but, but... My apologies to all my Irish friends. I could get in a lot right. of trouble for that.
1: But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, since 19, since the turn of the century, I shifted. I downsized my construction efforts and, and, and other things. There were still a lot of golf courses being built up to around 2007. So I focused on what I would call the high art of golf architecture, and by that I mean uh, when you walk into a really beautifully designed layout, well-crafted and strategic, you can look in any direction, and whether you're a good golfer or not even a golfer or an average golfer, you are filled with a sense of beauty. You Think, think of it as you've walked into Monet's garden and are admiring the water lilies. Now, the art of it is Monet's, but the feeling of the garden is yours. And if you, it doesn't mean it's dramatic and and scenic and waves crashing at Pebble Beach or even Ogshead, but it's the overall craftsmanship that anywhere you look, you see beauty. And that's what we crafted uh, or attempted to craft. It was a great work of, of art. We had a great client, Brian Marcel, who's chairman of the U.S. Open at Wingfoot in 2020 and loves the game and um, was willing to do that, what it took to uh, let me and my team, especially Ed Tano and and um, Mark Voss from Texas, who we formed a old team, working with the Irish to craft something very, very beautiful, but it's not too hard. But we did double down on Chambers Bay, and so we introduced the ground game there, as we did in Chambers Bay again. So we have two ways to play the holes at, at a minimum in the air or on the ground, and uh, I think that that gives people, and most people have choices their golfers' eye pick up those opportunities, and the more they play a, a beautifully thought-through golf course strategically, the more they enjoy dancing with a beautiful woman it's, who's a good dancer, they're going to be back. So that's kind of my artistic take on what we have. It's, it's been open, soft opening to a few people, friends of the ownership in the fall. We made a couple of minor adjustments, and um, it'll be fully open this spring.
0: Yeah, and We'll get into Chambers Bay in a little while, but you talked about making it playable in different ways and, and reintroducing the ground game. Obviously, that's something that most golf architects are going to say that they value, but not everybody has always uh, really truly designed to accommodate the ground game and, and ground contours. Do you find you're doing more of that uh, over the last 10 years than you did earlier in your career?
1: Um, you got to remember, I grew up in a golf family, and when I was working for my father, we did Spanish Bay, and the first five holes are are links, like They're along the sea and among sand dunes. The whole nature of the ground game has to be on sand. It's the quality of the, of the turf as well as the thought through reacts on defense. But uh, if it's firm and fast and interesting, my, my take is as people age in our game, I find myself appreciating the, the lynx game since I'm a member of the RNA and I've played a lot of lynx courses, not only in the British Isles, but elsewhere in Australia. New Zealand and, and uh, anywhere the British Empire went, and occasionally in the U.S., but there aren't too many. Is that my older friends love the ground game because the ball rolls farther than they hit it, and uh, the young limberbacks hit the put the ball when they hit it high and we can't do that anymore. So I don't I don't particularly like elevated greens, even though I built many of them. I would like the green to be an extension of the fairway so I can bounce the ball in. Graham, for me more pleasurable, um, and I think for a wide range of golfers who love the game and want a different way to play it as they get older. And women, too, like it that way.
0: So what Hogg said, it was also a, a result of having an opportunity to have the type of soil and, you are know, at a windy site where you can maybe adjust your architecture a little bit to emphasize the ground game in a way that you often cannot in the United States? Well, I didn't
1: adjust my architecture. I mean, I'm, I, I just applied the principles. I mean, like a, like a composer. I know all the keys, black and white, on the piano, and I can play many different songs. So I just applied the song I wanted to play to that land with the support of our client, Brian Marcel. And no, the soil was not good. It was rocky and clay. It was an old course that had been abandoned. I asked him to buy more property, which he did. So we just abandoned the original course uh, that had been going through bankruptcy, took out all the rock walls, and sand capped it. Uh, over 100,000 cubic meters of sand came in and made the soil firm and fast. So this was a man-made concept of a Headlands course. It's not a Lynx course, but it, played, it has the characteristics of the bouncing ball, which is uh, a Lynx characteristic that many people enjoy.
0: Does the final result remind you of any other courses in Ireland or England or I Scotland that you've played? I hope
1: not. Uh, I, I think that the critics and the people who play it will find their own go- depth of, uh, of the me- melodies that are in it, and the rhythm and the poetry. I did tip my hat a little bit to Tillinghast for a shake hands hole at the beginning, and a little bit to Harry S. Cold for greens that spill off slightly, like number two. Um, but we got, you know, I have a, a, a par five which ends in a, in a beer screen, which is unusual beer rift screen. I played for Yale, and um, the beer rift screens are usually at the end of par threes when they're when they're replicated by, TV mm-hmm. McDonald and his team, um, and yet. Uh, it, it's got its own essence. We, we, I'm a site-specific designer. By that, I mean the site and the culture and the client are my guides. And then I, you know, if they give me a commission, I try to respond just as Michelangelo might on a piece of marble. And uh, there we go.
0: You mentioned uh, a number of years ago you kind of consciously downsized your firm and, and shifted your focus on what types of projects you wanted mm-hmm. to take on. How has the overall climate of getting jobs? Changed in that time, you know, obviously with the the recession in two thousand eight, it, it reoriented the entire industry. What, what is it like? What's the environment now? You seem to be busy. You ha- have some nice international projects, B- but how difficult it is is it to get jobs now compared to the, what it well, was? Well, you got to remember, I've ago. been in
1: this fifty years, and it was, let me tell you, it was extremely difficult during the Vietnam War because I think Spyglass Hill was built. We did Silverado, maybe that was it until until. Prince Philip Mackay, late 60s, early. And it was job by job. You know, we, we, it was, there was not an active time until maybe then through the 80s and 90s. It took off the, the game worldwide. But I've always been an international, so I think I see golf as a little tiny round sphere played upon a very big one, the Earth. And I go wherever there's good land and good people and want, who want to play our sport. I've been to the Soviet Union when it was not a place that was much fun. 1983. So I've been a pioneer all my life. I moved from the East Coast, and went west, and kept going. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think the, the nature of do you have to find like-minded people and adapt to their culture your concepts. For example, in Japan, it's a very mountainous three-dimensional architecture, but yet extremely subtle in the details because that's who they are. Um, and, you know, I think uh, we were very active in Latin America right now. We have a new course called Rio Hondo, which will open this late spring, maybe May, in Argentina. We're working in Baja, California, and um, and we're about to start work in Uruguay and and Colombia. So uh, the game is growing in these locations. Well, the game may have been overbuilt during the free money era as a part of real estate development. Because it means golf is not a business. It's returned to its origins as a sport. It's a simple sport. It's not a hard sport. People can say golf's too hard. That's not true. It's hit a ball, which is stationary. Go find it, hit it again, until you get it into a rabbit hole. And we've been doing that for 500 years, so it's going to continue to be popular with those people who doors and, and chase a ball.
0: What was that experience like being in the Soviet Union in the early 80s? Did you find that difficult, or do you yeah. have any good stories about trying yeah, actually, to make that Actually, we started in the
1: mid-70s, and we had a break in the early 80s because um, we had no sports range. Once they... Once we chose not to go to the Moscow Olympics because they attacked Afghanistan, and they chose not to come to the LA Olympics. There was no sports exchange for six years. It was a mission; it wasn't a golf project. But there were no golf courses in the Soviet Union, that, and, and until we built our first 18-hole course, it was a little 9 one that was built simultaneously, kind of a short course by a Swede. But in any event, the the idea was that without the Soviet Union and mainland China. Having golf in their, I was part of their country. It was ideological. They were anti-golf because they perceived it as a rich man's capitalist game. Uh, The golf would never re-enter the Olympics, and so that was the overall mission to help support golf to be a worldwide sport without reference to ideologies or anything else. And uh, we succeeded, but it was very difficult. I have to say, very difficult. But I like challenges, so (laughs) there were some very strange times in the Soviet Union.
0: Was it the challenge working through the bureaucracy, or communication, or just bringing two different cultures, sporting well, all cultures of that,
1: together? Really? Um, uh, first of all, I think the Russian people are, have a deep soul, and uh, once you get past their natural paranoia, they've been attacked by the. Give me an accurate map, because ever since that happened, they would not give accurate maps to the so, to foreigners. I said, well, then I'm going to give you an inaccurate golf course. Eventually, they. Trusted me and gave me an accurate map from which to lay out the course in the Habano. And, uh, you know, the, the Soviet Union collapsed in, in and around 1989, and we're in the middle of actually in the beginning stages of construction. Auntie and, and with whom we'd worked in Finland, were very strong and respected by the Russians. Our own team was there. And we pretty much had to do most of the labor ourselves. We had soldiers who had been let go and, and uh, made redundant by the Red Army in uniform picking up rocks because they didn't have anything else to do, They were effectively, a uh, dollar a day um, at that time. But eventually it got done, and it's now, you know, it's held many Russian Opens. I like to call them Russian clothes because uh, they didn't allow anybody but Russians to win. <laughs> I played in the first Russian Open, finished fifth. But uh, it was kind of fun.
0: <laughs> How did they not no, let the widow joke about just, that? It or did the way they? The,
1: Russians, um, the, the the people who owned the course were Upedeka, UD, UPDK, which is a section of their foreign ministry for for property, and they were trying to have ambassadors and other people. They were trying to attract in from from all over the world, including um, Swiss companies and UK companies and European companies, American and Japanese to you know, as they transited from the socialist economic system to the more um, laissez faire capitalist no, it wasn't laissez faire it was really statism in my view. But anyway, so we had to get past all that and uh just build a golf course and uh it was fascinating. Uh, I personally enjoyed working with the, the Russian people and particularly Ivan Ivan Sagayev, um who's an engineer and um but it just was an ex- an extraordinarily Tough experience, but you have to have faith, and uh, it
0: worked out. Right. Well, I have to tell you, uh, when I was growing up, I had uh, some golf books. The World Atlas of Golf uh, was a big one, and you know maybe a, a Golf Digest Top 100, you know courses, which was basically like a picture book. The, the first real book I bought, w- bought was Golf by Design, by which you wrote in the early '90s. So still that I, I when I knew I was going to be talking to you, I pulled it out and looked through it. It's still really a fascinating, informative read really brings you up to date especially for you know somebody who's just learning the game it brings you up on the data the, on the vernacular and the fundamentals and how to think your way around a golf course so I wanted to you know say mention that because well, lot lot to it me
1: means a lot to me I think that's my first and last book that's a hard that's harder than designing a golf course I can tell you with editors and the kibitzers and, and people have to write the captions it was it was and then we actually designed the book too we got the photographs and helped the little brown I'll make it not a picture book, but also, but an illustrated book so that the text was within a page of what we were trying to explain about the nature of the golf course per se and break it up into chapters on the tees, the greens, the bunkers. and so that you could. It, the idea of the book was that all games are attack and defense. If I can teach you what the architects of note or any architecture is doing, you're probably two up on the first tee over somebody who doesn't understand what they're looking at. That's why it was uh, interesting to people that helped their their game if they could break it down. And certain architects have certain tendencies, um, you know, uh, I would say, th- th- who were prolific, such as um, Tillinghast or McKenzie or Ross in the so-called golden era. And my father and Dick Wilson in the 50s and 60s and Fazio and myself, my brother, and, and um, Pete Dye in the middle part, and now there's... New people coming on um, mm-hmm. who are active, but I think the main thing is you have to understand how they think and think a way a general would attack a landscape if he was in if he was in Waterloo, you know, it was Napoleon versus Ish. And the point of it was to help you play better golf and understand what you were doing.
0: Yeah, I think that was the first time that I'd been exposed to that kind of. Forethought and and thinking your way through the golf course based on the features in the land and considering what the architect was doing, so it was very informative to me. One of the one of the things I when I was just flipping through it today that I happened to stumble upon was you mentioned that you spent some time with Tommy Armour at, at Wingfoot mm-hmm. when you were young. Tell tell me some of those interactions. What did well, Tommy Armour have to say to a young kid like you? Um,
1: first of all, he was and uh he and I was playing on the u s junior team, uh, named name to it in the late fifties, sixteen or seventeen, and we played in wingfoot and um I happened to win my match, but we have the tenth all west in twos, and he watched that, and uh my father came out late to to watch the match from New York where he was working and um <laughs> Tommy Ramos said, "Oh, Trent, you know he called my father Trent you you know you can play, I'm gonna teach him the real game." Which was kind of a quasi insult to my father because he taught me the game. But anyway, uh, he then invited me to play with him and others in the next year in the summer, and I would go over there and, and the lessons were free. He saw me as a fellow professional or an apprentice. In Whiffy Smith, who's a good woman player, uh, Dave Marr was in the uh, Claude Harmon's shop as an assistant. Jay Revere, I was 17, and then he would always have someone who pay him a high fee. He played nine holes yeah cuz there we were no carts at the carts at that time when we and he walked and we got near the bar he was in and we were we kept playing but anyway he gave a lot of deep insight into the features of the land as a young player you know you're working on your swing and how to get it far and accurately and a certain technical things about buried bunker shots he would help me on and others but um he was really think telling teaching me how to think i would hit the ball at the flag stick uh, as much as I He said no bob take another Take another uh, club, one more club, and cut it in. He said, 90% of the shots, uh, 50% of the shots I hit and I'm open champion, I don't hit pure. And so if it, they're going to fall short. You don't want to be in that bunker. And you, your percentages are better to get up and down if you fall short left. So he taught me, again, tactics of how to move the ball. And, and then I think that's a somewhat of a lost art in today's artillery officer approaches to the game where everything's databased. And that's also what I'm trying to read Avella has been a part of my architecture. I think Tilling was great at that -- is give people choices that there's more than one way to play the same hole, and um, it's up to you um, with what, what tactics you take to beat, your, uh, beat the golf course. So there's always a third you may have a match play with one other player or some other game that's a match play, but there's always a, a hidden third um, defender, and that's the course itself, and they have to think about both.
0: Mm-hmm. And he taught me that. How much time do you spend <clears throat> on a typical project these days concerned about tour players and the distances and the database abilities that they now have?
1: Well, basically, I've had the you know enormous privilege to design two U.S. Open courses chosen by my peers at the highest level of the U.S.J., one for men at Chambers Bay and one for women at, at the next year at Cordoval. So while I wasn't thinking about the U.S. Open at Cordova for women, I was, we were thinking about it at at Chambers Bay. It was extremely avant-garde in his era after World War II because he knew the game had changed since the mid-30s when golf architecture virtually stopped during the Depression of World War II. So when he did Peachtree and other courses, um, Mm -hmm. he was saying, okay, the ball's going much farther, the equipment's better, the aerodynamics of the, the ball's the... Sarazens invented a sand wedge. Bunkers are no longer fierce, and we need more water. He was adjusting to his own era. So I said to myself, uh, as well as to Mike Davis, who I consider a colleague of great skill and knowledge, um, we need to think about how, what we can do here. And so Chambers well, Bay is unique in the sense it's a huge, big, open site, entirely crafted out of an abandoned mine, but there's not a tree on it in play, and there's not a water hazard on it. That's so different from the golf courses that most people play on tour the water, the trees of the deep south of Atlanta where East Lake is or the ponds they're in. And this is the exact opposite. So why? Well, we could get a firm and fast course on a big uh, um, site, and so the courses can be played long, and it was. on how far it's hit ends up. So let's say the the limbervax hit at 280 yards and it lands 280. It doesn't stop it rolls another 40 yards in some direction. So we crafted the land to roll very far sharp left or very far right or not necessarily forward. And with the landing point, so what we were doing to the long players who are at the highest skill levels of the game, we were asking them to think about their tee shot and not how far it goes, but but you know distance and control. And that's a new way of thinking in defense. Now, many of the pros didn't like that. They're used to having everything prepared for them and they're used to Four Seasons hotels. The rooms are perfect, they know where the bathroom is, the pillows are nice, and that's what they get every week on tour. But when they come to the U.S. Open, which is run by somebody else, it, it can be different. And it will be g- different again in Chennecock for some of the same reasons. But it's open to the winds, it's, it's sandy, it's uh, high fescue grasses, and all of which makes it different. And it isn't British and it isn't American, it's its own self, as the Irish would call it. So I think it's an avant-garde way to look at it. I can tell you from speaking with and being there all week, that while I was uh, on defense personally from some of the Golf Channel and other people, it didn't matter to me because I think the main thing is we got emotion back in the game. And when at the highest levels of the game the best players in the world are emotional, I've I've done my job. And so has the USGA uh, and the setup that Mike Davis did. Uh, and I think that the, the, the credibility of the course was self-evident in that on Sunday afternoon, there were six players standing on the 10th tee, all of whom could win the championship. And the lead changed it to different people three times in that back nine. And you know the rest of the story. That's the essence of playing up. And the players tell me they love that. It wasn't a boring Sunday afternoon. It, they had to reach deeper and play harder to win. And that's the nature of our national championship. It should be every time.
0: Yeah, the lasting impression, though, of Chambers Bay in the public's mind is that there was some kind of uh, debacle that was happening there. Uh, whether the true, or, whether that's true or not, you, is, is debatable. But were, were you frustrated at all by the way the course was set up, or was it more a matter of, of nature, just not cooperating and not getting the uh, providing the expected atmosphere that that you typically would find were Chambers Bay? Were you there? In? Were you there at
1: president no. of the tournament championship? Well, the people that were there, the people who no, were there, there. were ecstatic. The people who were actually following the, in the crowds did not, not have that impression at all. That was only Golf Channel to, because Fox News was new, and it was an in, internal debate about the, in the media, uh, the, the television media. It was a subtext to the, the reality of what actually was going on. The general public is, If the general public is those who watch on television, golf's not a spectator sport. You've got to walk it. You've got to be there. You got know, to be at present to understand what actually happened, and they were. And so the people who were the spectators, so do you, are, do you not, several thousands of spectators, I did not hear one complaint.
0: So do you do you think? I think that there's a general perception general out perception. there that something was wrong the with the setup or the conditioning of, of my course. art.
1: Probably when um, Michelangelo did David, maybe some people thought it shouldn't they shouldn't be doing nudes in the time of this, of Christendom. I don't know. that's you, know, you have to take high risk, whether it's in the Soviet Union or in this 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 golf course, according to others, is according to Johnny Miller, is a golf treasure which will last the test of time. Now, could it have been maintained differently? Uh, could 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 something have been done differently? Maybe. But golfs an outdoor sport which is, is is subject to the vicissitudes of weather and also management. So the pros are so used to a perfectly set up golf course each week that They're used to that they were on this was unexpected in a sense. The, the Lynx game, which is based on fescue grasses, which is the original grasses for 400 years in the UK, is a different kind of grass and they're not used to it. But they're being paid a lot of money, so you know, let them play up. I heard no complaints from Justin Johnson to the contrary. He said, I'd love to play here every week, I'd make a lot of money. So obviously, jordan beef was happy and his caddy was happy. Uh, uh Gra- the South Africans understood it. Um, Grace and and the Australians understood it, Scott, and not one of them complained. They all complimented it. The people who didn't, who did complain,
0: didn't make the cut. So, just to get this straight, you were were you happy with the way the, the course played, or if it would have been played at a different time of year, would the it's course have shown at least you differently? You
1: can choose. Uh, from my perspective, the, the golf course. We took ten years preparing the golf course. We adjusted the chorus after the U.S. Amateur to sharpen it and lengthen it and do other things that Mike Davis and the USJ wanted. But once it was once I'm the composer, and once I hand the music over to the conductor, they can do what they want with it. I have no no say in that. I might they might ask my opinion, but they're going to conduct it the way they see fit. And so the the bottom line is it was out of my hands. In terms of what actually happened, I think it was fabulous. And so do so do all the people who were there, including the players who actually had a hunt. Uh, they get bored playing tournaments. This may sound strange, but you know, for them, it's 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 it's, it's like a, an elite labor union. They're happy when they get paid, and, and uh, they they that, they that they're very that they're also great athletes. And once they're asked to reach up deeper, then they're then they're great sportsmen. And uh, I think, uh, from my perspective, that feeling. With, was felt throughout the crowd. You could ask anybody who was there, other than the media, other than the golf channel. But they were upset with Fox News, and that was really what was sadly going on um, at the time.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it was a compelling tournament. It was. It's exciting to watch that type of golf. I, I think most people, most people felt that, but there's this kind of, story out there, which you've said, you've just told me that it doesn't matter to you, but that, that there was something, uh, it's, it's just out there that, that people think that, you know, the course didn't show well or the USJ lost control of it. Well, i have been saying that about the USJ almost
1: as long as I've been alive. They didn't like, they didn't like uh, my father's work when he redid um, Oakland Hills in 1951. They were upset that, that uh, at, at Olympic Club that the greatest players in six Open Championship have come in second or worse and some unknown has won the tournament, Jack Fleck or, or Simpson or somebody, not Watson, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just part of the chatter of sport. And if it's, if it's a reflection on the course, so be it. But but it, I would much rather have had um, Jordan Spieth, who is now an acknowledged world player, win uh, on a on a course because it brought the cream to the top, and I think that the result speaks for itself. I, I'm I'm going to say this again. It, could the grass have been slightly better? Maybe. Uh, did somebody screw up? I don't know. Uh, no, because what what my colleague the the, the uh, the doctor of the piece, Mike Davis, did he adjusted the flagstick positions, and he made sure that if you're near the hole, you 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 could you know get to get your putt down, which is what most people were seeing on television. The let's, let's say in high definition television, you see all the blotches. Whether you see it in an old actress's wrinkled face, or whether you see it uh, in in um, the snarl of a of a politician, or whether you see Whatever you see, because nothing is hidden on that, on that very bright light of television these days, and unfortunately, that perception, as you call it, it was transmitted. You had to be there to watch the play. Remember now, people have made very low scores. I mean, uh, I think uh, especially as the tournament progressed. So I think uh, once they understood the golf course, they begin, they being professionals, adjusted their games accordingly. And uh, Adam Scott, I think, shot 65, as I recall. Um, you have to look it up. But anyway, uh, they, they adjusted.
0: Yeah. Ush right. was, was And low, they adjusted. Uh, so uh, even, even
1: uh, um, McIlroy, st- standing on the 15th tee, could have won it. He, you know, he, had, he was 300 at the time, mm-hmm. and at the end, I think it was 500 that won. or tied. And, he, and he, he bogeyed two out of the last four holes where he, where he would have possibly been in a playoff. I mean, it really was. You know, you have to be out inside the ropes, walking it, watching, understanding the game to realize the extraordinary symphony that was in front of you and enjoy the music. Beethoven's Fifth was actually panned when it first was done, so we'll see. Uh, in terms of the agronomic aspects, that's outside my, my ability to have anything to say other than to comment. Could it have been better? Who knows? Uh, you know, could have been played a month earlier? No. But maybe it was a little. The weather was not helpful. But uh, be that as it may, so what? They had a great championship and a great winner, and they'll be back. They tell me that anyway.
0: Yeah, good. Well, <laughs> I was uh, j- just on this topic. I was reading the the book that uh, James Hansen wrote, a, a biography of your yeah. father, called The Difficult Part. Uh, just tonight, I was reading the the chapters of kind of covering the late 50s and into the 60s when your father was he uh, redesigned uh, the Firestone course. They held a PGA there. The pros hated it. <laughs> he de- he designed Bel Reeve the pros, you know, didn't didn't respond to it. You know, the, the, he it's listening to you kind of shrug off and say, "Look, you know, take the artist's perspective and say I'm happy with it." It is it's, it's <laughs> runs in the blood. I don't think it, it didn't seem like it bothered your father either. And over time, the views on those golf courses changed and they become very popular tournament venues. So could the same could well, easily it, happen with it, Chambers Bay? It's
1: going to have another USGA event, the four ball. Uh, they will continue to and we will help them. We find the spectator experience. Perhaps the agronomy will be, um, you know, better. But that's up to the ownership, which is a county issue. And um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you you just can't predict everything. So uh, that's the beauty of when you play golf. I can't predict how I'm going to score until I start playing. <laughs> you know? So, and 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 that's and that's why we yeah. watch live sport. It, it's it's the one thing where it's it's it, whether it's football or or basketball or anything else where it's not per, it's not fully you know predictable, and that's why we watch it so um, anyway it, it, it is true it's maybe in the blood of shrugging things off, but think about this they're going back to hazeltine for they went back to Hazeltine for more opens. My father adjusted the course a golf course is a living thing, and as long as the architect himself is still living and the ownership has a good relationship with them, we will adjust to what we what the, the way in which the of uh, the players at, at the highest level uh, if it's if it's one one or two issues in the case of Hazel team with softening some dog legs and a slight change in the rooting on 16 and 17 um, and make a better golf course so that's the nature of true championship courses now there are very few true championship courses but there are even fewer courses which have um, great art I think we may have talked about this but when you walk in the San Francisco Golf Club which is not by the sea you know, you look in any direction, the craftsmanship by Tillinghouse is so beautiful to the golfer's eye, right. the inner eye, and the non-golfer's eye because the Mediterranean light is casting shadows and the bunkers are extremely beautifully shaped and, and on and on. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a championship golf course. than one that holds major championships to be worthy. And it really isn't that important what the pros think. They are, take, they are, you know, they are play, pe- playing for money. Probably, since I'm a professional too, maybe it's not that important what I think. But what, what counts is what the players think because they, they bet with their wallets every day.
0: The other unexpected story, I guess, from that week was Gary Player's comments, and, uh, which I found strange coming from the guy who's one of the greatest Lynx golf players you know in the world who knows what uneven stances are. And I, you don't need to rehash that whole argument. But, but it, it kind of reminds me of uh, this kind of concept of, of rivalries in architecture. Your father had a, a famous one with Dick Wilson. At least from the outside, it, it seemed like they didn't like each other very much. Um, it, how prevalent is that in your field when there are guys who you're competing with that that you just don't get along with or just don't like?
1: Well, golf, you know, is a sport for competitive, and pe- people have skills and they have attitudes. And uh, myself, I'm fairly magnanimous. I try to forgive my competitors if, they're, if they say something that they sh- shouldn't have or just brush it off, as you pointed out. Uh, others um, carry a chip on their shoulder, and, and I, you know it's, that's their problem, not mine. So I think one of the reasons we're popular right now in doing so many courses worldwide is that people like our work, and they, and they like us, and we like them, and we adjust to the culture we're in. I speak some Spanish. My daughter's more fluent than me. But uh, at least I'm enjoying myself in the South America at the moment. So uh, I've built 85 courses with our team in, in Asia, and that was a, another good time. So I think, I think the game is alive and well. Uh, I, I get tired of reading Wall Street Journal articles where they say it's in decline. If they were to actually use a different statistic, they would find out that it's not in decline they were to count the number of golf balls sold, literally the number of balls sold by the major manufacturers, Titleist, Galloway, et cetera, the number of golf balls is steady. So, so there may be less people playing, but they're playing more rounds. So I, I don't understand their, their you know, the, the sort of the sky is falling attitude. And I can tell you, in other parts of the world, it's growing. Latin America is a good example. And uh, Asia has been growing for a long time. So the game is alive and well, in my opinion. But to get back to your earlier point, to have the chance to work in a golf culture, uh, for me, it's like Jordan Spieth and, and, and the others who played up at Chambers, Bay. to work in Ireland, I had to play up. That was very, very uh, all-in, because I knew it was going to be compared to the great courses that are there, Lahinch, Hinch, Bally Bunyan, uh, and others that are part of the Irish um, royalty um, of uh, golf. So, uh, so we, we did our best job, and, and it's, you know, hopefully people will enjoy it. We, and the theme was built by friends for friends for fun. And uh, I think that's what's happening. We want to make sure that people have fun. So wide fairways, lots of ways you can not lose a ball. Uh, but when you get in and around the greens, the heart of the golf course, that's what you have to, you have to think tactically, whether you play in the strong winds or light winds. You got to adjust to the, the the weather of the day, and then uh, play the ball aerially if you're an American, and play on the ground if you're European or Irish. We'll play both as as you learn many different ways to solve each 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 puzzle of each hole, and then put it all together. and, and, and hopefully you got a you know a, a lot of fun. And you can, instead of going into the bar, you go right back out and play another round.
0: <laughs> That's the way it should be. Uh, just to follow up on that question, I had uh, Dick Wilson died just as kind of, I think, when you were getting in, mm-hmm. into the profession, Did, was that a personality issue between the two of them, or was it a, a purely a, a business uh, rivalry? They spoke of each other as rivals. What, well, was, the, I, what was the friction there? I don't there? think there was friction.
1: Um, you know, there's only so many projects. You're, you're, you're working with someone's land, which is very valuable, and you're working with their money, which they, they uh, um, you know, entrust to you to, to make something good. And so, you know, there weren't that many projects. Um, And my father was very successful, especially after Oakland Hills um, made him famous in his work and the remodeling there. Dick Wilson was kind of more earthy. My dad was a little bit more bright and cheerful and kind of a leprechaun. And Dick Wilson was kind of down and dirty dirty and in the the trenches, so to speak, as a personality as I remember him. I only met him once, I think, but anyway. I, but it's true that when people would think of, of hiring them, they might put, they might be in the finals of the two people considered, maybe eight or ten serious people who were designing golf courses in the 50s. And in one case at, at um, Delaware, at Wilmington Country Club, they hired both of them: one, one course Wilson, one course Jones. Um, so you know there was a rivalry, yes, but. You know, like, like I mean, there's no, I think, I like to say there are no bad golf courses. They're just poor farms that are not yet transformed into golf courses. So, um, so I don't, I don't, I think, from my point of view, we're so fortunate to work in a sport and have had a beautiful life. Uh, people who are in the theater never criticize the plays of someone else because we want the patrons to come play them. And so that's my philosophy.
0: Yeah. Uh. Hear that, Mr. Player?
1: I don't want to go there. Yeah, for he's, he's a great champion, and uh, and he and he speaks for himself.
0: So your father began designing uh, golf courses in the nineteen thirties and designed all the way up through the nineties. That's seven decades. You, you're not to age you, Bob. Sorry, you're, you've you're mm. in your sixth decade right now. If uh, if my math is correct, well, Do you, I mean, you're gonna keep on going, and uh, you got another uh, well, 10, 15 years in you.
1: Of my friends, close friends who are, um, you know, retired from their business, some very good business. I mean, they work for Silicon Valley companies like Apple or they worked uh, you know, in many different vocations. They said, Bob, when are you going to retire? I said, well, what do you do? I said, well, we travel and play golf. I said, well, that's what I do and they pay me. Why should I retire? <laughs> so so exactly. I'm having fun. I have a lovely little team. My son, Robert Trent Jones III, is we're running the business aspects of our profession, our little firm. Bruce Charlton's my partner. And um, I think uh, we're very active and we're willing to go where there's good people, good land, and, 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 and help them with their uh, things. And I think I bring to them, you know, a lot of wisdom. <laughs> I've made a few mistakes, but I've, I've learned from them. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, and right now I'm in a very... Uh, myself, personally, I'll take on a project, like Hog said, very personal because I really enjoyed Brian Marcel himself and his partner, Tony Alvarez, and they're real golf people. I'm not so interested in, let's say, a real estate project where the object is to uh, sell real estate and not worry about the golf course, as was the case in the 60s, 70s. Um, That was another era, although I did them. And, um, uh, you know, I think that we can do wonderful golf courses which will last the test of time, and people will maintain them. They'll go to work every day, not thinking it's a... A, a job but a labor of love and if they maintain them lovely and they're backed by a good greens uh, chairman or, or, or committee or owner then um, people will enjoy the, the game. I, I think of where I am right now in Princeville and Kauai. The Makai course was remodeled by myself and Bruce in uh, 2010. So I'm getting to redo my own courses. Again, Century World in Northern Wisconsin. So some of the things that I've learned about the right. game, how the game has changed of the opportunities that we may not have had originally for budgetary reasons or other reasons. We can adjust the golf course, Poppy Hills is another example. We changed the routing slightly there and at at, uh, Century World and and made it better, we think, and more um, in tune with the players' needs of our time. We put in more forward tees for people like me and and, uh, so the grandparents can play with their grandchildren up on those tees. we put in farther back tees for the young lumberbacks, men and women, and uh, we've a, you know we stay current with the way the game is actually being played and enjoyed.
0: Yeah, maybe I should ask you this a little earlier. Um, but you mentioned Silicon Valley a moment ago. You moved out to that area, the Bay Area, in the 1960s to open up sort of the western uh, office yeah. for your dad and that was that was must have been uh, a heck of a time to be there knowing what I know about you and and your your cultural leanings uh, it must have been a pretty groovy time <laughs> summer of love what was that like for you when, when you landed in the in the bay well, area in the late sixties
1: uh, I, I went there because I was um, I went to Stanford Law School my mother told me even though I was a great you know a very competitive player and played lots of tournaments that I had to get a real job because the thing my dad did was the cottage industry after one year of law school, I said, I don't want to do this <laughs> the rest of my life. And my father said, well, you've got enough knowledge now. Maybe you can help me with property law and contracts. And, uh, and uh, I said, but he said, why don't you come pl- work with me? And so, but you stay in California because that's where the business is. The game was following the sun and California was the sun. It was growing very rapidly. It's doubled its population from 20 million to almost 40 million now in, in the state. And as such, there were many golf courses to build and then on to Hawaii, and he was working at Mauna Kea, where I was his apprentice, and then Japan, where I went, where I had found my, my beginnings. And as long as you were competent in the, in the countries, you were, they, they accepted you. They didn't care about your age. Uh, it, it was um, very f- fulfilling for me. And I learned a lot from them. For example, the Zen bunker at Princeville is inspired by a Zen time. I spent a Zen monastery being taught by one of the Zen, Koan and one of the Zen masters, some of the philosophies of Japan. So I was curious and applied it to my own art in in the United States. Um, But be that as it may, it's been a long good experience, and I I really do think that um, right now I'm very privileged and grateful to have a chance to work with owners who don't care about my age, either young or older. But uh, I'm active, and I will stay as long as my health is good.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you a somewhat of a personal question. From from where I sit following golf course architecture, uh, a page is kind of turned. There's a a new generation of people. There's a new – the the way golf courses are designed and looked uh, have evolved a little bit. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, There's emphasis on the ground game, walkability, working in sand, um, a certain style of bunkering and along with that there's a generation who kind of looks toward the past uh, and you know the pejorative term is the dark ages does that personally bother you at all when you hear people use that phrase and they're really talking about some of the work that that your dad did and you know you came of age in that period where golf kinda has a black eye does that that bother you? Well first I
1: disagree with your premise Uh, golf does not have a black eye Um, it's a sport, and it has various iterations. The, the glory of the sport is unlike football or tennis, which is, a, or soccer, which has a rigid dimension to its field. There is no rules about this. I mean, we, we settle on 18 holes. We go only because there's 18 shots and a fifth of whiskey sometime in, seventh, in the 18th century. But that's, not, that's irrelevant, too. It's a game that's um, you know played over the landscape, and uh, and the landscape gives you something, but then it's a the game, and as as people learn to hit certain shots um, and and play it, they want a variety and viva a difference. You know, I, I I don't I think it's great of it. If I were to play a Dick Wilson golf course, I'd bring my dog leg game because he was very very much into dog legs. I think of the courses he did, particularly in Florida, South Florida, like Pine Tree. And uh, if I'm playing my father's game, I'd bring my straight tee shot because he bra he tended to bracket the fairways with. With bunkers, based upon what Reese and I did uh, measuring U.S. Open t- t- tee shots at Hall for example, when we were kids. In terms of the newer um, th- are, works, some are good, and some will have, uh, sadly, been already demolished. Um, not to say that that wasn't a function of economics or, or other reasons, but you got to make things that people will ha- have so much love for. First of all, they maintain them and make any architect look good. Secondly, that people want to travel distances and support them. So some of these courses are romantic in the sense that they're in great distances, like Tasmania, and, and, and that's great. But, you know, skiers seek out snow in Chile in the summer, and golfers now in the jet age can do that too. But I don't think that's the nature of what's going on in the game. We're doing remodeling of older courses and updating them such as country, Contra Costa Country Club or uh, another course in Sacramento, um, which was done done by other architects. And we try to go inside the mind of McCann in the case of Contra Costa or Billy Bell in the, in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the case of the one in Sacramento and uh, try to understand why they did the layout. The two most important things in gol- all golf architecture is the rooting, how the architect... And, and whomever he's working with, laid out the sequence of holes. What is its, what is its rhythm? Are there, uh, do we start out with a par five, or do you start out like lithium saint Anne's with a par three? Probably not. Um, where, where, do the, where, does the, where are the hard holes? Where are the interesting holes? Where are the make-up birdie holes? What's the rhythm of it? And that's very much like a symphony. So I think the layout is number one, and then everything else is about the greens, the greens of the heart. It's where you're trying to get the ball in the hole. So how you approach your second shots, your approach shots, how you chip and putt around them, how you putt on the greens, uh, how you recover from bunkers or other hazards, it's, it, 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 it all comes down to, to those two elements. So be a little difference. You know? let, them, let them try their, their different arts. and some will It's a trial and error thing, and some will be successful uh, in the minds of those who um, play them, and some will be criticized, but so
0: what? Well, it seems like you have a very positive attitude on the you know, the, the history of golf course architecture. Uh, a lot of people don't. A lot of people kind of look back on certain well, periods and, and think they, that are there they, was many
1: architects, or are they want to be architects, or you know, somebody once asked me Probably. how many are golf architects and I said, how many golfers are there? Everybody has an opinion. But golf architecture is much more than the look of, course. of the course or an opinion about an era. It takes into account agronomic issues, which are very technical. It takes into account hydrology and hydraulics, which are irrigation systems, and drainage. As my dad once said to me, Bobby, remember the three most important principles of golf architecture are drainage, drainage, and drainage. You want to play on a dry surface, mm-hmm. thus the sandy soils are the best. But if you don't have sandy soils, then you have to craft them. I would say there's one trend that I'm not that... I was taught to root a golf course as the land that was given by using a topographic map and what what my dad called the V's. The V's are where the natural drainage runs for any target area. So, um, today, uh, in the landscape architecture schools in Kansas State or Michigan or Mississippi, many of them are trained uh, that it's okay to move a hill from here to there. I was trained, move the hole. (laughs) Don't move the hill. So, (laughs) I I think that's a new era. And so, the layouts are not necessarily following the veins of the marble, as a great sculptor would do out of Carrara. Uh, They're altering it. And... um, and you, you better be very, very proficient at that, because Mother Nature in the end is still in charge, and she will get even if you haven't thought her through, and her her real um, principles are abused in any way.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit of a contrarian by nature, and the reason I'm asking these questions is because I, I personally do, amongst the people that I talk to in, in the writing profession, um, hear a lot about this period of architecture that was kind of uh, unimaginative or or over-industrialized uh, and now we've come out of that the second golden age has occurred so to speak with the opening of sand hills and those type of things so being a contrarian i want to get i want to try to see if this is true and my reaction is to say no that's an overreaction that's you know there there's quality work like you're saying through every period but do you see looking back on it at the very least, sort of an evolution in golf course construction, the capabilities, similar to movies that were made in the 70s and 80s, didn't have the technological aspects to pull off special effects that well, they do a very now. So, you know, things can be um, more and I complicated. like the
1: analogy to movies because so my son has his master's in film from SC and worked on Avatar, for example, as a sub director. So uh, I like I like that analogy. Of course, we all change with the techniques. My dad loved gadgets. I mean, you know, he had Minox cameras and who knows what. And originally, the the golf courses were that were built in America were in a sense replicas of what they found in Scotland, as you know well know. But the equipment they used were steam shovels and not bulldozers because they had not been yet invented. um... You know, bulldozers come out of the tank warfare, the tracks. And so when you have a steam shovel, you, there's a tendency, which C.B. McDonald and um, his helpers like Banks, who are civil engineers, they would tend to be rigid. Well, I played for Yale, and that golf course has very deep bunkers. When you're in the bunkers on the eighth fairway, or eighth bowl, you cannot see the yeah. bike stick. It's that far down. You, you had to know the course. It was a big advantage by, by having hometown knowledge and um, uh, home uh, in, in matches there. But the point is the way they were constructed was rigid. It was civil engineering, and it looks rigid, and it is rigid, um, whereas McKenzie began to follow nature and, and, and Tillinghast the same in crafting bunkers, which were artful and looked as though they might have been a sand dune once upon a time. So that was a reaction to the early times. And yes, equipment has changed, and, and we adopt and use it, but, but at the same time, that little ball remains roughly the same. There used to be two, the British and the American ball, now there's one. And um, it's still a sphere, and it has certain properties that you can't alter. Um, Yeah, maybe the aerodynamics are a little better. You can hit, but you know, you have to learn to use your skill level as an athlete or as a prospective golfer to make that ball go where you want it to go. (laughs) You know that's not so easy. So it takes a lot of uh, discipline and patience and practice to overcome the, the shot-making fa- facts. So we talk about hand players and bombers and women players and spin rates and all these things. But at the end of the day, it's interest. Does the course make you want to come back and play it? And so I'm happy for the new courses that are very aesthetic if it's in- inviting people to come back. And I'm happy for the patrons who are, you know, billionaires who are building some of these courses. But, you know, I, I still think that, that my father's work at Hazeltine has stood up for the test of time. And it was more like a Dick Wilson work because he had dog legs. In, it. in fact, when asked by myself why he had so many dog legs, he said, Oh, I was just trying to out dog leg Dick Wilson. He was making a joke. But um, <laughs> um, so right. what, what do I think about this era? I think um, it's, it's, it's we're just lo- lucky to be in it. And uh, and not, you know, it could have been World War II or it could have been something where no golf courses were being built. So I'm, I'm very happy to be part of it. And then. Happy for the others who are right. practicing
0: as well. Just, just a quick follow-up to that. You know, talking about the advances in in technology, and I remember I asked this a similar question to Steve Smyers whether he, what he thought of that mid-century style of architecture compared to what's being done now. And he he had an interesting observation that coming out of the of World War II, when you had access to large bulldozers and heavy equipment and you could build golf courses with them, there weren't a lot of people. Who were building golf courses with them? You might have guys who were used to working on on roads or like large scale projects. So a lot of there there might not have been a lot of the detail work, you know, in the 1940s and 50s that there was beginning to evolve after that. After people got the feel for it, and a new generation comes along. With that in mind, and you can feel free to disagree with that. I'm I'm uh, I'm open to uh, all kinds of education. If you were to got the Chambers Bay project in 1980 or 1990, do you think it would have looked the same as the course that you got out of it? Well, it doesn't do look
1: the same as when we built it originally, because we've altered it with the advice of uh, Mike Davis and the USJ. Specifically, it was a purpose-built golf course to hold a US open. So with that in mind, um, we've changed our own design, as I mentioned earlier.
0: When, what about when it opened, when it first opened? It was,
1: it was more wide open, that is to say it was very little rough. The idea was a big playing field among man-made sand dunes. By the way, that's not the first time. We did the same thing at Spanish Bay with Watson and Sandy Tatum, Tatum Consulting. That was a quarry as well, and we crea- crafted a lynx-like golf course and had fescue grasses. The new ownership didn't like the, the color brown, the tawny color. They were Japanese for a while. And they, they turned the grasses into, into basically poanean and, and rye grasses, which lost the plain characteristics of Spanish Bay. But Spanish Bay becomes Chamber Bay. Chambers Bay is Spanish Bay on steroids. And, it, and so this is not new to the Jones family. Spyglass, hills, first five holes, becomes Spanish Bay, becomes Chambers Bay. This is a long, long evolution. This is, nothing, this is not radical changes that happen in the art. Or how it's, how the and it re- reacts to the land and the purpose of the of the golf course. In Spanish based case, they wanted people to stay in their hotel. In Chambers Bay's case, it's a public golf course, and they want people to play it all winter. They want it to drain. There's technical uh, aspects of the course which drive the purpose of of the course to, to the owner uh, from the ownership's point of view. So getting back to the your premise, though, um, I think Steve Smyers wasn't there in the '50s, but I was. The first thing I did was learn how to run a bulldozer at and I ran it for my father when I was sixteen in order to get in order to be paid fortunately union scale at um, Wilmington delaware and I didn't know anything about running a bulldozer, and I almost killed myself because when you tip when you tip the blade to a certain point, <laughs> bulldozer's center of gravity pitches forward, and at one point when I was trying to push up a a bunker face, I went over the top, and I also went over the top. So uh, you learn a lot.
0: <laughs> I don't think you're the first person who's yeah, done that. Yeah, I'm not, on but I was 66,
1: and I was, it was, it's frightening because the bulldozer is still moving. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the point being that um, I ran a bulldozer, and uh, Pete Dye talks about running a, uh, equipment. He, I don't think he ran a bulldozer, but he ran four tractors and so on. But equipment is just you know, a, a way to do what hand labor did in, uh, at Pinehurst, or teams of horses and slip scrapers. You have to have, in order to shape or sculpt, you have to have implements, whether you're sculpting uh, a piece of wood uh, with a hammer and a chisel, or you're doing it with, with a marble, or you're doing the earth itself. So the equipment is useful, and, and every great artist adapts his art to the current equipment of its day. Um, I, I, I will say, sure. if you want to talk about retrospective thinking, I am totally not a fan of this idea of saying, let's go back to the 1920s and see what, what uh, Billy Bell really meant, or let's say, uh, Bel Air, they're, they're trying to restore, they're trying to go back to the original.
0: Yeah, Tom Doak is uh, right, restoring Bel It's not a Bel-Air restoration.
1: Again. It's a snapshot in time. So which snapshot are you going to take? 1920s? 1950s when Dick Wilson was there, 1970s when my father and I was there, 1990s when Fazio was there. Yeah. Uh, which rest, Which snapshot do you want? And this idea is very romantic. And the way the analogy I would say is, well, it's a great sales pitch, and we architects are good sellers, believe me. And Toke is among the best. Um, okay, fine. You want to go back to time? Tell me, are you planning to give up your Porsche for a Model T as good as it was in the 1920s? Maybe I'm not. And if that's what you want, you're not really telling me that nothing's happened in a century to make the to make the game change, and I think that's counterintuitive and really just salesmanship.
0: Do you think they don't get good results? I think They're they get mixed results. results.
1: Um, some some mm-hmm. restorations are needed. I think Doak did a very good he and his team did a very good job at Tiempo. I think the work at San Francisco, where I'm a member, is pretty, but not technically correct. By that I mean the screen, the green surfaces are not telling us. And the same thing, uh, Doke has a tendency or his people have a tendency to what I call dokify the surfaces. They make, it looks like McKenzie, and it is McKenzie's style of bunker very beautiful, well done, extreme highly crafted and, and artistically done. But the actual playing putting characteristics are different. Whether they're better or not, I'm not it's not for me to say. It's just
0: different. At San Francisco, were there detailed sketches of the Greens to work off of, or was it an, an interpretive uh, endeavor based on photographs? What kind I of documentation did I they have?
1: I wasn't asked. Um, oh, you I mean trying to. Go you back. said
0: you're a member there, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I am a member, but I'm saying, no. Doke's do, 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 way of doing things is arm waving. We call it arm waving. He's, he's not a draw. He doesn't sketch like I do, or well, my father does. Um, he has very good um, people in his team who are. We're very good at craftsmanship and run equipment well, and have a very, very good eye for for the quality of their of the look that they're trying to achieve. But it's it's you know, and San Francisco is filled. Danny Tatum was a member. Two people on the U.S.J. committee. They're all knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. So um, there are too many, too many good knowledgeable people in San Francisco. So. Uh, including me, <laughs>
0: That's a problem you run into occasionally in this. In this no, sport. no,
1: I mean, I mean, I'm not. I don't misunderstand. What I'm saying I'm very happy to go to San Francisco and simply play golf. I don't really want to get into that. I, by the way, I play other people's golf courses. I enjoy them. I played golf with Tom Doke in Philadelphia at Stone, whatever it's called. I played with him on. We talk shop. I enjoy that, and so does he. I think so. Uh, you know, we can sit and and and, and chitter chatter about. what what I'm saying to you openly with each other and learn Mm -hmm. from each other and try to improve the quality of the experience But at the end of the day you know one person is chosen and he's responsible he he or she is responsible to the committee and or the owner and uh, you know it's better to let them do their thing
0: one last question on this and then we'll we'll wrap this up what if somebody like I, I spoke to Ron Pritchard on this show as well he does. He does this uh, for Ross courses a lot. Restores them, but he often works off the sketches, the green sketches that illustrate the bunker. Well, depth. They weren't really and,
1: sketches. They were they were line drawings on, on marked paper. They were more surveyor's um, mm-hmm.
0: paper. Mm-hmm. But they're the architect's intent, would you say?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, they were dimensions. They were they were plan what we call plan view. I tend to work in perspective views but uh, we do give them dimensions we lay them, we we lay them out on the field so the shapers by the way you were talking about the quality of shapers the joneses have always trained their own shapers we, we have a team of people who are loyal to our way of thinking mm-hmm. and and uh, they give us lots of advice and we listen carefully to them as well and um you know some shapers are more concerned about drainage than they are whether the ball spills a certain way in or out of a bunker and and so Ultimately, we have these discussions out in the field, and we, we, it's a collaboration. Every great golf course is a collaboration. Jones worked with McKenzie at Augusta. Jones worked with my father at Peachtree. Uh, the great golf courses are, are true collaborations, and uh, in my opinion, the, 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 that includes the people who, do, who are the craftsmen.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't leave without mentioning one specific course. There's only one person listening to this who will know probably this golf course. Uh, It's a place in in Colorado. Uh, My dad plays there probably once or twice a week. It's called Ute Creek. It's uh, owned by the city. (laughs) And I don't know if you even remember it, but I'm telling you, there is more architecture and interest packed into that little city-owned course than than I can believe. There are centerline hazards. There are dog legs with some tasty carry bunker options, multi-plateaued greens. There's a lot of width to the course. There's a a little par three that's sort of like this extreme alien cool double plateau feature. Um, I mean it's a, it is a really fun golf course to play. I have to mention that because you know it's probably it's probably the first time you've ever been asked about that. But
1: Well I'm not normally asked about U Creek, because it, mostly they talk about the courses in the mountains where the dramatic scenery is like Keystone Ranch or, or Beaver Creek for example. Um, but probably right down the, the, the uh, frontal mountains there uh, is another one of our courses, which you will, which is called Arrowhead. It used to be sure. in Littleton. Mm-hmm. And there we had dramatic scenery Whereas Ute Creek, it was a relatively bland piece of land. So we had to craft interest in this tactics and strategy and shapes that you're referring to, whereas the, the opposite was a case of, um, Little, Littleton, we, we were sort of uh, constraining ourselves to just let the land speak for itself. Now the difference is that Littleton in the seventies when it was built was built in design and construction for five hundred thousand dollars. U oh. Creek was so much more. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. One of the first times I ever joined my dad on a golf course. He went down and played with a buddy of his at Arrowhead, and I just rode around in the cart with him, and I couldn't believe the beauty of that golf course, just playing in and out of these giant red rocks that rose up like, like sunken battleships at the bottom of the ocean coming out of the earth, and the holes kind of weave and go around them. It's just a fantastic setting.
1: So you've played my early work in the 70s, like like Arrowhead now, sure. and you've seen maybe Keystone Ranch. Uh, so yeah, I've, Beaver Creek. And, um, and and uh, so on so you know this idea of um, of my work together with my colleagues work together in you know this long period of time i would say that i'm very very challenged by trying to i, I want to create something that's lasting and i believe a little bit i think it was keats who said beauty is truth and truth is beauty and that's all you need to know if something is beautiful leave it alone and just weave your art through it if it's not beautiful Okay, give it a little help, you know, but don't overdo it and don't try to do something like fountains that are in lakes in Florida or stuff that are, you know, just distractions to your eye. On the other hand, if you have great drama, uh, make, sure you, make sure you make good shots uh, um, at Hogshead or uh, any place where the sea is so, so distracting um, and, and so on. So I, I think beauty is very, very important. Um, and it's it's in in golf architecture, and and that that may be different things to different people, but to me, you sort of know it when you see it. And San Francisco Golf Club, notwithstanding the the, the very very technical points I'm making about maybe one or two greens like 16, uh, is it, extraordinarily beautiful. You can stand on any place in San Francisco, and look in any direction, not necessarily where you're playing the hole, and it feels beautiful. And uh... It's not next to an ocean. Right. So, I, so I think that that's, that, I think, is one of the glories of our game. Uh, when people talk about it being the look of the course, that means you're outside it. In the game of golf, you're inside the beauty, and you bring with you your own sense of aesthetics. And, and hopefully, the, you know, it's like going into a museum, and you just sort of know that the paintings you see speak to you. And, uh, and, the, and that may be different for different people.
0: If you don't mind, I'll ask you a couple quick questions, and then we'll be be done. Um, What is the best modern course that you'd want to play over and over that you were not involved in designing or building?
1: Uh, Oh, boy. I don't know what it's best or it's not best, um, where I'm attracted to go back and play. Um, I'm not a great...
0: Everybody always has a hard time with this one. Yeah,
1: I am because they're so different. I mean, in Florida, for example, we call it Florida flat you you have first of all the the land itself, most of Florida is pretty level, and then you add water to it, which you to add a line, and I think I think it's hard to play in Florida. It's very beautiful and warm. But the modern courses that I liked in Florida would be World Woods oh, um, yeah. and I played it. And at the time, it was in a quarry, and I liked that because it wasn't flat and it was different. And we did a course in Jundulup in Australia at a quarry. And Tom Fazio and I talked about it: who was first and who was copying each other. We we're kidding <laughs> each other. But it, but but you know, I'd say that one is is attractive to me in Florida, uh, in the mountains. Where I'm a three-dimensional architect, I think. he died tends to be a two-dimensional architect. Meaning he's very very competent in Florida, where he lives and grew up and went to college, um, and, and he's skillful at creating sharp edges, such as the TPCs and Mm -hmm. so on, whereas I'm more skillful at three-dimensional geometry because I had to be, um, having moved from the East and practicing my entire life in the West and in the mountainous states. So, um, of course, um, a modern course, I don't know if it's modern or what it is, but the Broadmoor has two courses, um, which, which one of which was... Donald Ross revised by my father, and the others by my father. Right. So I, I think of my father as modern. I don't know what you mean by modern, but I think of him as modern. We'll take that. I think, I think the breaking line was World War II, um, or after thereafter, because the equipment had changed. Wooden shafts had given way to steel shafts and so on, and therefore the architecture changed, because there was a long period when there weren't any golf architects anymore of the old school. Uh-huh. So... Um, I think uh, the course that I would play over and over again would probably be my father's course at Peachtree
0: in Atlanta. God, oh, that's a good call. I was just out there maybe two months ago uh, for the first time. Actually, just blew my mind. I couldn't believe what I was seeing out there. I was not. I mean, I always heard it was a great place and a great property and a great membership, but the the holes and the way they're presented and just the, the and the whole property. I mean, it's it's the equal of Augusta National in my opinion. The the property. Itself and the and the holes and the shaping—it's marvelous. Yeah, well, I'm um, glad.
1: To, I'm glad we get back to your hometowns, also my wife's hometown. So I've got to give a big boost
0: for Atlanta. <laughs> I should I should let you conduct the interviews. You can you can bring this back home. Uh, <laughs> your father's most underrated or overlooked golf course.
1: Oh my God, um, uh, he did so many so much work, but again, like Donald Ross. Um, he did a lot of work that was remodeling, and Ross did a lot of work, which he never saw. So they were very prolific. Um, and, of course, we worked around him. I was trained. My brother Reese was trained. Roger Rulich was trained by my father. And that's the nature of um, how, the, how the profession really gets done. You don't get this in landscape architecture schools. You have to go out and get your hands dirty. Uh, certainly the things in, in colleges are helpful, but you've got to, first of all, play the game and love the game. And, that, and it always comes back to the game itself. But um, in terms of, um, I'm sorry, I lost my track. What well, your question? Underrated golf?
0: Underrated park. or overlooked? Um,
1: maybe Tuxedo Park in, in New York.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, it's extremely well, not well-known, but it's a it's beautiful, beautiful um, private club, and it's very well-liked uh, by its membership and those who get to play it and respected in a more later in his career maybe matita conch in new jersey sure uh, doesn't get a lot of accolades yet it's excellent i think it's 27 holes as i recall um and i played it um and uh, my father's designs also evolved and people think he had a certain formula and to some degree when it was very prolific he did um it would be like say building olympic swimming pools he was building championship golf courses because that's what people wanted But he also could do things which were very different and outside the box, like the fourth hole at Spyglass Hill, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, he played down into a punch bowl, and and that's just completely different from the elevated greens that he was famous for. Sure. Um, I think, um, well, I'm going to say something that I think might be a little bit of concern to me personally. There's a lot of great golf courses that are being modified by not-so-great architects of great masters. Um, and, I, and that's troubling to me. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's one thing to restore or, or renovate and pay attention to what the master was doing. Well, if you were restoring the Sistine Chapel, you better not put your own paint strokes on top of Michelangelo's, because you, you, you will not succeed, all right? And the same thing is true, you know, whether it be a Dick Wilson course or a Tillinghast course, you better pay attention. I, I, I will give, um, I, I'm a, I know Wingfoot, because I played it so often, and I will give Gillhan's credit for not um, putting his own mark on Tillinghast, especially on the West Course, when he renovated it. And on the other hand, there are people who you wouldn't know their names necessarily um, that want to make an impression for themselves, so they want to go in and change a great master. I call that fresco architecture. They want to paint their own painting over the top of the fresco in the church in Italy. To get you know to get some recognition, and I think we have to be very careful with, with those people um, to be honest with them uh, and 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 you know guide them to pay attention if they get that opportunity to the master's work that they're working on
0: oh, Bob, you just opened a. Up- giant door that we could walk through but i think we're gonna have to have to leave that question uh All alone right. and for a, another time i'd love to explore but but we'll move on uh, just a couple more quick ones you've chambers bay hosted the u.s open congratulations on that despite what i said earlier i thought it w- i'd agree it was one of the most entertaining u.s opens we've seen in a long time uh other than chambers bay and Corteval, which is will be hosting a women's major what course of yours could or should host a future major tournament
1: well, that, you may not know this, but we've had five World Cups on different courses of ours, including Princeville, uh, the course uh, in uh, New Zealand, um, which may have renamed itself uh Inda in Italy, um, I'm sorry, in, in Indonesia, um, one in Bangkok, Navitani, and, and others. We have many European tour events in Portugal, in any in, uh, in U.S. events western hills in florida u.s tour events for example so you know they played many many championship we've had many courses upon which they played championships i i think the difference between a championship and a tournament is not well understood a tournament's an invitational they do not call augusta a, a championship it's a tournament and because it's an invitational in effect the pga is a tournament because amateurs can't play in it so a championship is where, and especially an open, is which is open to anybody who can qualify to play, and then to find out who the best player is. So these are the definitions within uh, the competitive side of the game. And by the way, there's two games: there's golf, and then there's competitive golf. <laughs> and competitive golf can be just as ruthless in the club championship as it can be in uh, an open championship. So, um, and then there's people that just go out and have a hit. So uh, I, I I think that. uh... The 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 game is in good good hands and I, I really would hope that people would as much as I think golf channel is very interesting and fascinating, get off their couches and go play golf. <laughs> so and they'd have a lot more fun and they'd be healthier.
0: Okay. So are you did you did you just take a pass on that question?
1: <laughs> I probably did a political thing. So tell me the question again. <laughs> right.
0: Which one of your own courses uh it- do you think could or should host a? Let me put it this way: a PGA Championship or a U.S. Open or a Women's Major.
1: Well, it depends. It's, you know, it, it depends. There's so many factors beside the golf course. Uh, it depends on the community, um, many financial aspects of it. TV now has a huge impact. Which time zone they're in, and so on. Uh, I do. I what courses do I think are worthy of being considered uh, that are that are not right now. Um, personally, I think it's, it's hard to explain this, but, um, because it's in the, it's in the Vatican of golf, but I think Poppy Hills is capable of holding a championship. It had tour events on it. Okay. Especially since we remodeled it, it's going to have mm-hmm. a USGA, uh, champ, women's, girls championship next year, this year, actually. And, um, and so on. Um, it, 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 it it's hard to say, I mean, there are many golf courses which have the quality of shot making that would challenge the players but are not but, but the spectators can't get around them or the television can't get their other factors So, I, you know i would leave that to others in terms of world events half my work's outside the country and so we've had courses like in um, japan pine lake and golden valley host major tournaments national tournaments there We've had national tournaments in other, of other countries in several other countries. So we're just going to keep working on it. I mean, I'm very, as you can tell, I'm very proud of Hogshead. Whether or not it ever held, holds an Irish Open, that'll be up to others. But it's worthy of it.
0: All right. I'm going to put down Poppy Hills and then next to it, write Bad Question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is yeah. the last one, I promise. We'll, and, right. and then we'll be done. Um, what would you rather win? Uh, Nobel Prize for Peace? have your poetry read uh, in front of like, something like the New York Philharmonic, or have your, one of your courses host another U.S. Open?
1: Well, I've already had the great privilege of a course hosting the U.S. Open, so um, I have worked hard in, with refugees in my non-golf area, area, and anything that brings peace to our land also is sustainable, sustains golf, because in wartime there's no golf. And um, were times in the past histories like World War One and Two. So I would say peace. <laughs> uh, in terms of poetry, that's just an avocation for pleasure. And I do that to either beguile my friends or drive them crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. You have to say Nobel Prize for peace, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. How well, could you I
1: uh, mean, right. anything for peace, whether it's a Nobel Prize or um, refugees having a, finding a place they can? Find safe haven. I mean, my view of refugees is we all should take refuge within within each other's hearts. You know, a big hug is as important as um, migrations.
0: Well, I think that sentiment, at least in, in our discussion tonight, came through. Very very open and a very positive person. As a consumer, Bob, I'm a huge fan of your courses. I don't. I think you lay it on the line. The the work that I've seen, you pack a lot of interest and variety in, into your uh, into your golf. And, you know, you don't you don't stick on one specific style. Yeah, you, you mix it up quite a bit. So thank you for spending so much time with me tonight. Thank you for the poem. It was good talking to you. I wish I could spend more time with you. I could learn a lot.
1: Well, we could do that. We'll come to, I'll come to Atlanta when it's not so cold. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely don't come now. Or maybe <laughs> I can come you, to Hawaii. That sounds like a better trip.
1: Longer, this is a much longer interview than I expected, but I enjoyed myself, so thank you.
0: Well, I hope so. I, I didn't mean to take up this much of your time, but I no, really no, appreciate no. it. I'm,
1: I'm hit, sitting in Hawaii. This is great. So I'm watching Waves crash on the beach, and I don't see any surfers out there, so I, I think this was great. Thank
0: All right, you. now you're just rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> Come and see us. Thanks. All right, take care. So, wow, Robert Trent Jones, Jr. Um, what a sweet guy and uh, such a beautiful mind. He's an artistic thinker and, and a very, very eloquent speaker. Had no intention of the podcast going on that long, but each answer that he gave was so detailed and interesting that it just kept going uh, and carrying on and on, but thanks for hanging in there. When I invite guests to come on the podcast, uh, they're doing me a favor. They're free to speak about anything that they'd like. I encourage them to talk about their projects and uh, use the platform to promote in any way they feel that like they'd like to. But generally, what I'm trying to do is create a conversation, uh, ask questions to uh, get them to open up, tell stories, uh, try to get an insight into their creative processes, and also, of course, you know, talk a little bit about golf course design. I never want it to be adversarial or confrontational, and I hope this one didn't come off that way. But when you get a chance to speak to somebody like Robert Trent Jones Jr., who is so important to golf course design and is as deeply connected to golf course architecture as anybody alive, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask him certain questions. For most of Bob Jones' life, his father was one of the most important people in golf course design, not just in golf course design, but in the whole field of of golf. He was uh, respected around the world for uh, his golf courses, his Innovation and his contribution to the entire industry. But over the last 25 years, there's been a recalibration of the golf courses of the mid 20th century, uh, a lot of Trent Jones courses included, and that style of design has come under a little bit more scrutiny, especially in light of the trends of, you know, the last 25 years or so since Sandhills and the naturalist and minimalist movements that are such a contrast to that modern style of industrialized golf course building to me the shift away from the Trent Jones era and the appreciation for that is is pretty clear if you look at golf digest's top 100 courses from 1985 just to use one barometer Trent Jones accounts for 17 courses on that list uh, the latest golf digest top 100 list there are only two Trent Jones courses on it whether that's right or wrong or good or bad you know different strokes for different folks i guess but What's worse than that is, in some architectural circles lately, there's been there's been almost a categorical dismissal of everything from that era uh, and much of Trent Jones's work. And going into the talk, I thought that Bob might have some comments on that, or you know, he might want to air his grievances and, and make a case for why that's short sighted. I would happen to agree with him uh, if that were the case, but he just didn't see it that way. His perspective of his father's legacy in that period, a period which he began his own career in is just different and I don't think that he and I were coming at that topic from the same place it's an interesting discussion to have but I think we'll have to have that uh elsewhere and then on the Chambers Bay topic um I've never played Chambers Bay I'd love to it looks like a fascinating golf course it's the kind of golf that uh gets my blood flowing But where I was coming from was really just the perception of millions of people who watched that tournament on television and thinking, rightly or wrongly, that that the course had somehow gotten away and the design was not showing in its true ideal form. I should know better than to try to anticipate an answer, but I thought Bob would say... We designed a world-class golf course. We set it up exactly the way we wanted to. We wouldn't change a thing, and conditions and things that were out of our control uh, affected the playability of the golf course slightly, and it's not quite the way we intended it to play. But he was having none of that, and so good on him. He has nothing to be uh, apologize or explain with, with Chambers Bay. It's an outstanding golf course. I hope the U.S. Open does go back there. But we were, again, just not quite on the same page about uh, what was being played perceived. He was on the inside, and I was speaking for uh, the wider perception of golf viewers on the outside. One point of clarification, uh, toward the end of the podcast, he was talking about contemporary courses. He mentioned Tom Fazio's course in Florida, Worldwoods. I believe he was referring to Black Diamond Ranch, which is near Worldwoods, but it is actually built on a quarry. Worldwoods is not, but Black Diamond Ranch is built with several holes on the second nine, rimming around a quarry, very dramatic and very beautiful. But that was a very entertaining and enjoyable conversation i thought it was for my end i hope you enjoyed it i'd like to thank robert trent jones jr for joining me uh, i would like to hopefully catch up with him someday maybe in hawaii he seems like such an interesting amazing guy just to sit and have a conversation with and you get the feeling you, there's a lot you could talk to him about not related to golf So thanks again. Remember to visit FeedTheBall.com for news on upcoming podcast episodes, and I'm also posting other golf-related content on that, including recently, speaking of Worldwoods, a little review on that course and sort of a retrospective look at Tom Fazio's career. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at FeedTheBall. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, uh, you could do me a favor and subscribe to it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just go to the app on your phone and search FeedTheBall and hit the subscribe or plus button. It's very simple. I'd like to thank the Sundogs, as usual, particularly Lee and Will Haraway, the founders, for letting me use their music for the bumpers. They are going to send us out this episode with a song from their appropriately titled album, considering uh, Robert Trent Jones' outlook on the world, titled The Haraway Brothers Wish You Love and Luck in the World, and this is a song called Love and Luck. Thanks for listening.